Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Hi, and welcome back. We will start with the answer to our trivia question from last time. How long were Lehi and his group in the wilderness? You find the answer to this in 1 Nephi chapter 17, verse 4. It says, And we did sojourn for the space of many years, yea, even eight years in the wilderness. Bear in mind, this is eight years before they reached the land of Bountiful and began building a ship. Nephi gives no indication how long that took. I had assumed it was eight years from when they left Jerusalem until when they reached the Promised Land, but no, it was eight years before they reached the land of Bountiful by the seashore. It's anyone's guess how long they spent in Bountiful before they began their voyage across the ocean. Last time we talked about Nephi's vision. Now we continue. Nephi returned to his father's tent. He was exhausted from the vision he had just seen and, and devastated by what he had learned. Verse 5, And it came to pass that I was overcome because of my afflictions, for I considered that mine afflictions were great above all because of the destruction of my people, for I had beheld their fall. And there was nothing he could do about it. As he said, he knew that the things that he saw, quote, must unavoidably come to pass because of the great wickedness of the children of men. Then, to top it off, when he reached the tent, he found his brothers arguing with each other. After taking a minute to regroup, presumably while his brothers were still arguing, he asked them what the disagreement was about. They said they could not understand what Lehi meant when he talked about the Gentiles and the natural branches of the olive tree. In my opinion, that's a bit of an odd thing to argue about. Verse 8, And I said unto them, Have ye inquired of the Lord? Verse 9, And they said unto me, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. I've heard people say that Laman and Lemuel were resentful because Nephi had dreams and visions and they didn't. But there's no indication that he told them about his vision. When they said God didn't make things known unto them, they might have been making a, a factual statement rather than being resentful against Nephi. And also, before we get too hard on Laman and Lemuel for saying, the Lord make no such thing known unto us, let me ask the question, when you inquire of the Lord, does he make such things known unto you? Nephi continues, verse 10, Behold, I said unto them, how is it that ye do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that you will perish because of the hardness of your hearts? Do you not remember the things which the Lord hath said? If you will not harden your hearts and ask me in faith, believing that you shall receive with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things will be made known unto you. It makes me wonder if sometimes the way the Lord makes them known unto you is by having someone who has had the vision explain them to you. That's just my opinion. After lamenting that his brothers would not ask God questions, Nephi explained to them the symbolism of the olive tree. We'll encounter the allegory of the olive tree in Jacob 5, the longest chapter in the Book of Mormon with 77 verses. The dictionary defines an allegory as, quote, a story, poem, or picture 
that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. So in summary, the allegory of the olive tree tells the story of a man maintaining an olive garden, but the, uh, the story is symbolic of the scattering and gathering of the house of Israel. Nephi explained that Lehi's group and their departure from the land of Jerusalem were symbolized in the story as a branch being separated from the main tree. And at some future day they would rejoin it. Verse 14, And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that they are of the house of Israel, and that they are the covenant people of the Lord. And then shall they know and come to a knowledge of their forefathers, and also to the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer, which was ministered unto their fathers by him. Wherefore, they shall come to the knowledge of the Redeemer and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. It must have pained Nephi to describe this reunification, knowing when he said, quote, a remnant of our seed, he was only referring to his brother's seed. From his vision, which we discussed last time, Nephi knew that his own posterity would be completely destroyed by his brother's seed. After explaining about the olive tree, Nephi said, I did speak many words unto my brethren, but they were pacified and did humble themselves before the Lord. Humbled, and maybe even feeling the spirit, Laman and Lemuel asked Nephi about something that had been troubling them. Why was their dad so worried about them? When Lehi had introduced his dream in, in 1 Nephi chapter 8, he began by saying, Laman and Lemuel, I fear exceedingly because of you. And he said, after presenting his dream, that he exceedingly feared for Laman and Lemuel, yea, he feared lest they should be cast off from the presence of the Lord. The only thing they had done in the dream was refuse to join Lehi, Sarai, and Nephi, and Sam in eating fruit from a tree. Why did their refusal to eat fruit from a tree in their dad's vision make their dad so worried? So they asked Nephi what the tree meant. Nephi explained that the tree in Lehi's dream was the tree of life. They next asked about the iron rod leading to the tree. Nephi explained that it represented the word of God. Whosoever would hold fast to this rod by hearkening to God's words would never be led astray by the adversary. Nephi then exhorted them with all the faculty which he possessed to keep the commandments always in all things. This discussion made me wonder. Even in the middle of the desert, Nephi's brothers were struggling to keep the commandments. There was no church to attend. There was no home teaching or ministering to do. There were no bars that we know of or seedy parts of town and no indecent entertainment, no one to steal from, possibly not even anyone to lie to, and thus one would think scarce opportunities to sin or to get into trouble. At the same time, we might ask, what good things was Nephi doing? What was Nephi doing differently to keep the commandments? What could he be doing? Didn't their days consist mostly of, of foraging for food and maybe hanging around the tent? Weren't they doing roughly all the same things? If so, how were some doing it righteously and others doing it wickedly? How were some at one end of the spectrum and others at the other end? Could it all be about mindset and attitude? Their discussion continued. In the dream, there had been a river running next to the tree. What did that river mean? Nephi said the filthy river represented filthiness and was a gulf separating the saints of God from wickedness. It further symbolized an awful hell prepared for the wicked. But Lehi had not mentioned the river being dirty. 
Perhaps Laman and Lemuel asked about this. How would Lehi missed seeing the filthiness of the river? Nephi explained that, quote, So much was his mind swallowed up in other things that he beheld not the filthiness of the water. His brothers might have noticed that Nephi knew details about the dream that Lehi hadn't given, but the record doesn't discuss it. They next wondered about the hell symbolized by the river. Did hell refer to suffering and mortality? Or, quote, the final state of the soul following death? Nephi responded that it represented both. And then Nephi stopped speaking in abstractions and made it personal. He told them, quote, The day must come that they must be judged of their works, yea, even the works which were done by the body in the days of their probation. Verse 33, Wherefore, if they should die in their wickedness, they must be cast off also as to the things which are spiritual, which are pertaining to righteousness. Wherefore, they must be brought to stand before God to be judged of their works. And if their works have been filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. If so, the kingdom of God must be filthy also. Nephi spoke more about filthiness and hell and ended his explanation of why Lehi had been worried about his sons not eating the fruit by saying, Wherefore, the wicked are rejected from the righteous and also from that tree of life whose fruit is most precious and most desirable above all other fruits. Yea, and it is the greatest of all the gifts of God. In short, Nephi's explanation of the dream meant that his brothers, who had not partaken of the fruit, had chosen not to partake in the kingdom of God. Their conversation continues in the beginning of chapter 16 with his brothers saying, Thou hast declared unto us hard things more than we are able to bear. Nephi had just revealed that their father's dream symbolized that they would ultimately reject God's love and go to hell. How is someone supposed to respond to that? But let's pause and step back for a minute. Let's review their discussion. After repenting and humbling themselves, Laman and Lemuel wanted to discuss the gospel with Nephi. They asked good questions that indicated an understanding of God's plan. They wanted to understand the symbolism of the olive tree. They, they tried to understand why their father's dream was so worrisome. And they knew the gospel well enough to ask whether hell was during mortality or after death. So, just my opinion, but I suspect that if Laman and Lemuel at this, at this point were given suits, a clean shave, and a crash course in English, they would have fit right into a modern gospel doctrine class. And like most people attending those meetings, they would have probably identified with the good guys in the stories. So it's, it's no wonder that they were disturbed that the prophet had recently had a dream of them abandoning the church and going to hell. My mental picture of Nephi's discussion with his brothers had, had always been one of an exasperated Nephi trying to be patient with his cynical, sarcastic brothers. I missed that Laman and Lemuel humbled themselves before that conversation began. They had a good intellectual grasp of spiritual concept and felt comfortable discussing their questions and doubts with Nephi. I was also impressed by how much Nephi loved his brothers. We're so used to them being villains and bad guys that it's hard to picture anyone caring for them. And although the story does in fact end with them being bad guys, it doesn't seem that they were always that way. It also makes me wonder how many laymans and lemuels attend Gospel Doctrine class with us each week unaware that the prophet is afraid for them. It 
also makes me wonder, would the prophet see me standing next to the tree, or would he be exceedingly afraid for me, like Lehi was for his sons? Anyway, Nephi's brothers complained that he had spoken hard things unto them, more than they could bear, to which Nephi replied that wicked people always find the truth hard, for it cuts them to the center. He said they wouldn't murmur about the truth or complain about his saying hard things if they were righteous. Then he encouraged them to keep the commandments. And I I wish we knew what Nephi's tone was because it sounds kind of condescending, but their reaction implies otherwise. Verse 5, And it came to pass that they did humble themselves before the Lord, insomuch that I had joy and great hopes of them, that they would walk in the paths of righteousness. And then things began to happen. Nephi, his four brothers, and Zoram all married the daughters of Ishmael. Now, it may be irreverent of me to suggest this, but with Nephi telling his brothers to stop being so wicked, followed by the simultaneous marriage of all of Lehi's sons, I, I, I can't help but picture the, the sun coming up over the sand dunes one morning and, and Lehi yelling, That does it! You're all getting married! as a couple of kids wrapped in blankets scamper into hiding places. Anyway, so everything discussed this far happened while Lehi and his group were still at their first camp in the Valley of Lemuel, which, which means that although Nephi described himself as exceedingly young, he was still old enough to marry. Nephi said the following about getting married. Verse 8, And thus my father had fulfilled all the commandments of the Lord which had been given unto him. And also I, Nephi, had been blessed of the Lord exceedingly. Having now fulfilled all the commandments he had been given, Lehi received a new commandment by night to begin his journey into the wilderness. When he awoke, a brass ball of curious workmanship lay outside his tent. The ball had two spindles, one of which pointed the way whither they should go into the wilderness. Although Nephi does not explain what the second spindle did, we can probably assume it acted like a compass because, as Alma says in Alma 37:38, the word Liahona means compass. Also, as they began traveling in verse 13, Nephi gave unusually precise directions. Verse 13, and it came to pass that we traveled for the space of four days nearly a south-southeastern direction. And we did pitch our tents again, and we did call the name of the place Shazer. After traveling for four days, they pitched their tents at Shazer, and hunted with their bows and arrows. After a successful hunt, they continued traveling in the same direction for many days. As they journeyed, they hunted with their bows and their slings along the way. The directions on the ball, quote, keeping them in the more fertile parts of the wilderness, which were in the borders near the Red Sea. Eventually, they stopped to rest and get food, but unfortunately, the conditions that made the wilderness fertile were also hard on bows, probably because of the high humidity. As a result, Nephi's fine steel bow broke, maybe because of rust, and his brother's wooden bows lost their spring, again, maybe because of humidity. Without food, things got a lot more complicated. Verse 20, And it came to pass that Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael did begin to murmur exceedingly because of their sufferings and afflictions in the wilderness. And also my father began to murmur against the Lord his God, yea, and they were all exceedingly sorrowful, even that they did murmur against the Lord. Nephi said two verses later that his brothers had hardened their hearts again. Now, the word again is significant because it implies that their hearts had not been hardened before losing their food supply. 
In verse 5 earlier in the chapter, after discussing Lehi's dream with Nephi, Laman and Lemuel humbled themselves and began trying to live right and did so for quite a while. They got married and they traveled for at least several weeks, presumably living righteously, so that Nephi rejoiced and had great hope for them. But then their bows broke, things got hard, and they began complaining again. In verse 23, Nephi made a bow and a single arrow. Then, armed with his bow, arrow, sling, and stones, he asked Lehi where to go for food. Verse 24, And it came to pass that he did inquire of the Lord, for they humbled themselves because of my words. For I did say many things unto them in the energy of my soul. In the context of that verse, when it says, they had humbled themselves because of my words, the they appears to be referring to his brothers. As commonly told, Nephi went hunting while a grumbling, hungry mob waited impatiently for him back at camp. But we miss that the group, including his brothers, humbled themselves before Nephi left camp. In, in addition to him saying in verse 24 that they had humbled themselves, how do we know that they had repented? Well, because if they had not repented, the Liahona would not have worked. This detail modifies the scenario a little bit. So instead of Nephi separating himself from a complaining crowd and going to find food, Nephi first helped get his family back on track and then left, presumably with their prayers and with their support. When he returned with food, they rejoiced humbly and thanked the Lord. Lehi, though, was chastised personally for the Lord for complaining and was brought into the depths of sorrow. New writing appeared on the Liahona, which Nephi tells us shook Lehi's family. His wording implies that the writing was on the pointers themselves, which makes me wonder whether the pointers were, were large, really fat needles, or whether the writing was small, or whether Nephi referred to the entire device as the pointers. Here's what it says in verse 28. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the pointers which were in the ball, that they did work according to the faith and diligence and heed which we did give unto them. And there was also written upon them a new writing, which was plain to be read which did give us understanding concerning the ways of the Lord, and it was written and changed from time to time according to the faith and diligence which we gave unto it. And thus we see that by small means the Lord can bring about great things. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did go forth up into the top of the mountain according to the directions which were upon the ball. Nephi asked Lehi where to go for food, but Lehi did not give him an answer. Instead, the answer came from, quote, directions given upon the ball. I always assumed he walked in the direction the pointer was pointing, but the above wording implies he followed instructions written on the ball instead. By following the Liahona's directions, Nephi found and slew wild beasts and brought back food to the group. The fact that he returned, quote, bearing the beasts, plural, implies that the animals were small enough to carry. Think about that for a minute. What were they eating? The family rejoiced, humbled themselves, thanked the Lord, and resumed their journey. Then Ishmael died at a place called Nahom, N-A-H-O-M. His death prompted mourning and general grief from his daughters. They wanted to return to Jerusalem. Agreeing with their wives, Laman, Lemuel, and Ishmael's son conspired to kill Lehi. They also planned to kill Nephi, who they accused of attempting to establish himself as their ruler, teacher, and king. But the Lord intervened, verse 39. And it came to pass that the Lord was with us. Yea, even the voice of the Lord came and did speak many words unto them. 
and to chasten them exceedingly. And after they were chastened by the voice of the Lord, they did turn away their anger and did repent of their sins, insomuch that the Lord did bless us again with food, that we did not perish. At the tail end of this verse, the phrase, the Lord did bless us again with food, implies that they were again without food until they stopped being angry. There's an interesting thing about Nahum, however you pronounce it. Some archaeologists have attempted to follow Lehi's trail using the small handful of directions given by Nephi. Lehi's camp was three days from Jerusalem toward the Red Sea. When their journey began, they traveled in a south-southeasterly direction, which, if you look on a map, is a route running roughly parallel to the shore of the Red Sea, which Nephi described as the more fertile parts of the land. There's an old frankincense trail that is similar to the route described by Nephi. In Yemen, toward the southern end of the Arabian Peninsula, the old trail changes direction and goes east, and it makes this turn at an ancient settlement, which the archaeologists were surprised to learn was called Nim, spelled N-H-M, because written Hebrew does not have vowels. They found artifacts going back to around 600 B.C. with the word Nim, N-H-M, written on it. Nahum, coincidentally, would have been spelled the same way, N-H-M. And this has caused some to conclude that it's the same settlement. Also, unlike the Valley of Lemuel or Shazer, Lehi did not appear to name this. That's what it was named when they arrived. And so that has caused archaeologists to think that this might be the same spot. So from there, they traveled due east and will continue their journey next time. So we'll wrap up today with a trivia question. How many times does the word Liahona appear in the Book of Mormon? That's all I have for today. We will see you next time.